0: In the Hoodwood, I'm the Black Bandit. KJ Green welcoming you to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood. Coming up in this edition, did Dion and the Buffs get a comeuppance in the arts and zoo will break down the Buffs beat down by the Ducks? Miami scored 70 points. Not the Kings, the Dolphins. Was this a frightening trend, beginning of a frightening trend? Or just a spooky happenstance, the perfect storm? We'll take a look at that beat down in South Beach. Dame Lillard gets traded to Milwaukee? Okay, that doesn't make any sense, but we'll break down the trade and what it means for other teams, including a whining Jimmy Butler in Miami. We'll have the NFL week four, Fat Dab, Head Slap, with hot Five, I'm all over the place, and I got other topics to cover. So much, I'm going to try to cram it in an hour. So buckle your seatbelts, put your crash helmet on, and get ready. I a bit is coming at you, you ready? Let's go, come on. Again, I'm not sure, considering that beat down in South Beach, I don't know what's going on. i man KJ Green, welcome you to another edition of Sportsman the Hoodwood. We'll talk about what Miami did to Denver in a little bit, but we need to cover a whole bunch of topics and a whole bunch of stuff, so pay attention, because things are going to be moving fast. If you want to send me an email, you can drop, drop me a line at kjgreen at sportsmanhoodwood.com I respond back. If you're watching on YouTube, greetings. If you're listening to our podcast, hey, I'm glad you were along for the ride. I'll detail all the ways that you can get a hold of the hoodwood later in the show. Let's get started with... And everybody was like, oh, it's bound to happen, it's bound to happen. I hate listening to these supposed experts and wonks that think they know so much and were openly predicting that... Sooner or later, the Buffalo's gonna get run over. They're gonna run across a good team. It happens. Now, I'm not a big Colorado fan. I'm not one of those that jumped on the whole. Oh, you know, black folks got to jump on, on with Dion because you know he's doing this and that. Dion's a good coach. I will take nothing away from him. He motivates these kids. They are down with what he is saying. He is connecting with them. And the Buffalo started out 3-0. It's one small problem. They had to go to the arts and zoo. Oregon's never a fun place to play. Period. And you're giving a team motivation. you the hot team. Everybody wants to take you down. You're everybody's I don't know, you want to say white buffalo or white elephant or prize bull or whatever you want to call it, your target. And the Buffalo's target was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And their ranking going up and up and up. For somebody that only won one game last year, this is heady stuff. So you're facing a team like Oregon. And Oregon, their coach Dan Lanning thought they were being disrespected. Saying that they're fighting for wins, they're fighting for clicks. You know, throwing a bunch of shade at Colorado to motivate his team, that's his thing. I didn't think that much of it. You got a better team, line it up, kick the other team's butt and and, and be done with it. Oregon was motivated. Did Colorado come out flat? Maybe. Did they just get beat by a better team? I think that that was more the case. Shedeur Sanders was running for his life pretty much the entire game. Oregon just throttled Colorado by the score of 42-6. to six. That game wasn't close. It wasn't really competitive. Now, a lot of rumors have been circulating that other coaches were scouting Colorado as well, sending Oregon coach Dan Lanning some info and planning to stop Colorado. Now, if that's the case, shame on Lanning. For not being coach enough to be able to coach his kids up enough to be able to beat Colorado. I like Dion And I like his bold approach to coaching. The kids are relating to them. To him and the and buying into what he's saying. Now, is he going to stay in Colorado for the long term? That's anybody's guess. I don't think he's going to jump to Florida State or some other ACC or SEC team once his kids leave. But. Right now, the whole narrative about, oh, Deion Sanders is you know is a standard bearer for black coaches. There are other black coaches at prominent schools that are winning and have done it with a lot less fanfare. I'm not taking anything away from Deion Sanders, not in the least. I'm just not buying in the whole hype thing that is going on with him. I and mean, yes... Deion sanders has always been a flashy persona he has been that way for better than 30 years i mean i can go all the way back to when he played at florida state and he created by his own admission the whole prime time persona it was something he created to hype himself up to make himself more visible and it worked the media ain't it up? when he played in college he was a great self promoter when he got to the pros okay people was like oh he's gonna be in Atlanta it's gonna be a little bit more this was before Atlanta was the ATL Atlanta was kind of a little bit of kind of a cow town at least for football anyway but Dion brought his persona to the Falcons made them fairly legitimate too legit to quit see what I did there? but anyway he got him to help guide him to the playoffs. They were a legitimately good team for a little bit. Then he jumped to San Francisco, won a Super Bowl out by the bay, jumped to the Cowboys, won a Super Bowl with, with the Cowboys. Everywhere Dion went, it was a media show. It was a lot of hype. And for the first 10 years of his career, That's all it was. That's all you saw. Not saying that Deion Sanders couldn't play. He played. Played very well. When Deion Sanders finally retired in the early aughts, and a lot of people was like, okay, his whole thing is going to fade away. But he built up enough coaching regimen, coaching in high school. Jackson State took a chance on him. And all of a sudden, boom, he's coaching. And coaching well. And the kids bought into his I always call it shtick. But, after three games of Colorado, with the media hype of what it is, Oregon chin-shake Colorado. And I'm not saying that it was comeuppance, but it does show that Deion Sanders has a long way to go before his coaching acumen gets, you know, the kind of respect and many people think You gotta prove it more than once. You gotta do it. Okay, that's nice. You've won. You gotta do it again. You gotta do it again. You gotta do it again. And many people, me included, and I've already stated this, don't think he's gonna be at Colorado for long. He's gonna build up things at Colorado and then jump somewhere else. Where is anybody's guess? But I still think that Deion Sanders at Colorado is going to be a force to be reckoned with for the next few years. Next week, they got Southern Cal at home. Whew. Talk about the, the curve getting steep. It's getting real steep for Dion and the Buffs. <laughs> Snuffy is making a joke. Miami scored again. But the way it looked, Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium, it looked like that everybody was cracking open a, a ball bag and running in an end zone. What the Dolphins did to the Broncos bordered on the absolute insane. 70 points, not 17, 70. 0 The most points scored by an NFL team since 1966. It the game was just absolutely insane, and think it was close at first. It was 14-7 at the end of the first quarter, but the Dolphins kept scoring and, scoring and scoring and scoring and scoring, and you were waiting for somebody to either cover up the Broncos and tell the Dolphins, "Okay, that's enough, stop hitting them," or for Adrian to go hit them back. Cause the way the game just seemed to progress was like bam another score, bam another score, bam. and the the Dolphins were scoring at will, and the Broncos—I refuse to call them Denver because there's no D. There was no D in Denver, so I'm just gonna call them Enver. Enver just could not stop, and to think the Dolphins did this. Without Jalen Waddell, he was still in concussion protocol. So the the Dolphins just split up the, the runs between Raheem Mostert and Devin Achain, who was off the chain. 18 carries, 203 yards, and two touchdowns, including an absolutely mind-bending 67-yard run that capped the score at 70. 70 points makes no sense. Tua Tagovailoa had an absolute monster game. He did not throw an incompletion until the third quarter. The third quarter, people! Are you get, are you understanding how stupid that score is? You think about it. And I'm going post to post the information because it's escaping my brain how many times an NFL team has scored 60 points. It's only been done in the NFL that a team has scored seventy points three times. Sixty is rare. I mean, there's accolades. People are double, doing a double take when a team is scoring fifty. This is seventy. The Dolphins had fifty-six points at the beginning of the third, uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. They were leading forty-nine to thirteen, and still piled on three more touchdowns and the crowd in Miami was chanting for more. They wanted them to tie the NFL record for most points in an NFL game in all competitions. 73 to nothing was a playoff game. The 72-41 was in a regular season game in, no, in November 1966. But at least Washington scored 41 points and made the game fairly competitive. The Enver just could not stop the Dolphins. They ran on them. They threw on them. And like I said, Tyreek Hill, who had nine catches for 157 yards, was brilliant. But you had somebody named Robbie Chosen, who, who had a 68-yard touchdown. Moster had had, had a receiving touchdown. It, like I said, Devin Chain had a... of of receiving touchdowns to go along with the two rushing. Let me break it down for you. The the, the Dolphins scored five times in the air. They scored five times on the ground. It was so bad that backup Mike White threw a touchdown pass. It was just ridiculous. And the Enver. One of their touchdowns wasn't even in the offense. Marvin Mims ran a kickback for a touchdown in the fourth. That was Miami's only score in the second half. That was their only touchdown after, after Russell Wilson threw a touchdown in the first quarter. This was a complete beatdown. I would say beatdown in the bookie down, but I say beatdown in the South Beach. This was ridiculous. A pro team should never be able to score 70 points. You might see it in college. My alma mater scored 63 in routing Eastern Kentucky in the first week, but that's college. That was a Big 12 school against an FCS school. You expect that to happen. You expect teams like Georgia, Alabama, uh, USC, uh, Ohio State to run up big numbers against lesser opponents. That's college. You don't see that in the pros. Seventy points. <laughs> I mean, and and Russell Wilson as tries like a scout, but he, you know, he threw for three hundred eight yards himself, but he only threw for a touchdown, and, and was just the the, the Dolphins were. About as close to being perfect as the definition and the combination of two attack of and Mike White, 25 of 28 for 376 yards, five touchdowns, and a perfect passer rating combined. A 158.3. That's Yahtzee. You can't get no better than that in a in a passer rating. Is it and, and, and what I asked at the top of the show? Was this a fluky happenstance, which I think it was, or a dangerous trend? Because Miami's offense has played at a frighteningly high, fast level for the first three weeks of the season. Tua Takabayaloa is getting it. And I have said, said it, I said it last year, said it the year before. When this kid finally figures it out, oh boy. It's going to make life miserable for defenses. And giving him two premier wideouts in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, And Waddle didn't even play. He had, was in concussion protocol. He didn't even play against the, the Broncos. They'd have hung eighty on them if he had played. play. And then Raheem Mostert, great running back, but you're adding that kid a chain in it too? Please. Please. Th- th- Somebody better check Miami and check them quick. Now, if they can do something like that against a real D in Buffalo, and we'll look at the game games here in the, in the week four previews here coming up, but if they can drop a whole bunch of points against Buffalo, it's going to be bad news for the rest of the NFL. I'll tell you that. Let's take our first timeout. Come back and look at one of the most intriguing deals in the NBA. Dane Willard is going to not Miami to Milwaukee. The detail of the trade and what that means for the Bucks and the rest of the NBA going forward. And Major League Baseball braces for a frantic finish. So look at the last weekend of the Major League Baseball regular season. Along with a whole bunch of other stuff coming up. Sports littlewood look comes back at you after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at gottagetmarriednow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at gottagetmarriednow.com. Now, once again, here's Hoodwood's hometown hero, K.J. Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. My name is K.J. Green, and... Snuffy asked the question. Dame to the 414? Believe it. The Portland Trailblazers, in some breaking news, came across my desk on Wednesday. Trades the multi-all-star from... His, you know, the the team he's always played for, the Portland Trail Blazers, to the Milwaukee Bucks. In the three-team deal, the Trail Blazers are sending Damon Lillard to Milwaukee. Portland will be getting Drew Holiday and Buck Traff Choice's uh, pick swaps in 28, 29, and 30. Yusef Nurkic, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson will be going from Portland to Phoenix. DeAndre Ayton to Monty Kamara will be going from Phoenix to Portland. And Grayson Allen will be going from Milwaukee to Phoenix. This is a monster trade. Lillard had requested a trade from Portland after the Blazers had drafted Scoot Henderson. Now, the... Premium, or I should say the optimum destination that Lillard wanted to go to was the Miami Heat. Many people thought that Dane would end up in Miami teaming with Jimmy Butler for a devastating backcourt. But the, the numbers were never right, the trade values were never right. A lot of people were saying Tyler Hero and draft choices. A lot of people were saying, you know, a, a, a bunch of different players that were being tossed around here and there. Milwaukee, a lot of people didn't think they were going to be even in the picture because the Bucks didn't have a lot of draft choices to deal. I mean, their first draft choice that would be available to trade would be in four years. Actually, five years, 2028, because they had already traded picks to the Pelicans in next year's draft and in 26. They've already traded first-round picks in 25 and 27 to Indiana. You Key, now you no, know, state now. Stay with me. This, this is really confusing. They did a pick swap for 2028, 20, 29, and 30. The Bucks won't have a first-round draft choice until 2031. A future Milwaukee Buck is in the fourth or fifth grade right now. The Bucks are more or less mortgaging what little future they have to try to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo happy and hope that he will sign an extension. He's due for a Supermax here in a couple of years, an extension to stay in Milwaukee and pretty much stay a buck for the rest of his career. My youngest, Princess Jazzy, will be five years out of high school by the time the NBA commissioner steps to the podium and says, With the first round selection in the 2031 NBA Draft, the Milwaukee Bucks select. Now, the Bucks, like I said before, they they obviously did this to please Giannis Antetokounmpo, who had hinted about leaving the Bucks if they didn't keep championship material around him. Now, Dame certainly fits the bill. He scored 32.2 points per game uh, in, in an abbreviated season. He shut down... Uh, mid-March over some injury but he did shut down his season and the Blazers more or less are saying okay we're gonna move on from you You want we're gonna start over we're gonna rebuild the the Blazers have not made the playoffs last two years they decided they got a lottery pick and picked up Scoot Henderson now, it's not Miami, but it's a bona fide contender. The Bucks, even though they were upset in the first round of the playoffs this previous year, with Lillard on the outside and then Kumpo being the, the hulking presence on the inside, the Bucks went from fourth best eyes to win the NBA title to the top. Now, of course, there are teams in Denver and L.A. and teams in East and Boston and, of course, Miami that might have something to say about that. But right now, the Bucks are all in and could be a dangerous team for the next couple years to uh, uh, to come. And, of course, as like I said, it allows the Blazers to fully vest in their rebuild with Scoot Henderson. Does this make the Bucks a bona fide contender? I think so gonna be interesting and especially the first time he shows up in Miami they're probably gonna boo him even though he really didn't have anything to say about it but the Bucks get dame and get serious <music> the word is frantic The last few days of the MLB season is just that frantic. You have teams scrambling for playoff berths. You have teams that are trying to reposition themselves for the best possible berth in the Major League Baseball playoffs, which will start a week from Tuesday on October 3rd. Katie's birthday. I like that. Anyway, there are some teams that have already made reservations for October. The NL divisions have more or less been settled as the Braves, Dodgers, and Brewers have clinched their respective divisions. The Braves and Dodgers have buys to the divisional round, and the, Bra- and the uh, Braves have home field advantage as long as they remain in the playoffs. Now, the Brewers will have home field advantage in the first round, in the wild card round face the number six seed, which could be a mix up a whole bunch of teams, you still have the Marlins, Cubs, Reds, and Diamondbacks all scrambling to try to claim one of those last two spots, wildcard spots. The Phillies, already firmly ensconced in the four spot, should be able to host a first-round playoff uh, seed of their own. Now, the AL is a little bit more tricky. Uh, pay attention. This is this is a little bit murky, but it still might make a little bit sense. The team with the worst division record of all the division, late leaders, my beloved Twins, are the only division leader that has clinched. They clinched last week, and they were the only the team with the only winning record in the sad sack AL Central. But they will host the wild card round, hoping to break that 18-game postseason losing streak that it dates back to 2003. Good grief. Now, that's all that's set right now. The Orioles and Rays have clinched playoff berths and are closing in on 100 wins, but one of them will have home, both of them will have home field advantage, uh, but one of them will clinch that number one seed in the AL and get a buy through to the divisionals. Um, the division title is still in play, and that, like I said, that buy to the divisionals in the East. So those two teams are within two games of one another and could very both well likely have 100 wins. The Rangers lead the AL West as of 27th of September and are trying to pull away to get that by themselves but they have the Astros and Mariners still very much in contention. and don't overlook the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are closing in fast on 90 wins and a playoff berth of their own. Now the uh, Twins Orioles and Rays have already clinched. They are going to be playoff bound and the the twins are going to have home field advantage as a division winner and will face a number six seed which could be either Toronto, uh, Seattle or Houston. Texas looks like they may be able to pull away and get that number two seed and have a buy through to the Divisions. Of course the AL East is still very much in play both the uh, Orioles and Rays have made the playoffs, but that division has not been clinched. Final frantic week in Major League Baseball. This is the best time of the year, and we haven't even started talking about the playoffs and actually the matchups in the playoffs. Buckle your seatbelt. It's going to be a wild ride. seatbelt better not be because you're in the hoodwood. It's neither here nor there. Let's take another timeout. Come back with the NFL Week 4. I gotta get better with my picks. I'm stuck. I'm stuck in the middle of this mediocrity at 509 and seven. I need a really solid week of picks. I'm gonna try to get a whole bunch of them in a row for this fourth week. Sports from the Hoodwood comes back at you after this. Hi everyone, I'm KJ Green. If you're looking to reach a broad audience for your advertising dollars, look no further than where you are right like. now. Advertise right here in the Hoodwood. If you need spots created as well, Black Bear Productions and Enterprises content that drives sales and gets results. And send your inquiries to ads at BraggBand dot Productions and Enterprises. Sounds ideas and images of the 21st century. You are tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's foremost location for opinion, analysis, and insight on the world of sports. Here now is the man banned from sports trivia contests in 38 states and 4 Canadian provinces, and not to mention Guam. Your host, KJ Green. You're back in the Hoodwood. My name's KJ Green, and let's take a look at the NFL Week 4 Picks. And week three in review, I went nine and seven, but there are weeks that just seem to make no sense. I mean, it started off good with the Niners beating the Giants, as expected, and of course I have next week's Thursday pick at the tail end, but other than that, most of the picks went sideways. I mean, I, I, I can't get my upset to fall right. I haven't hit one yet and the Cardinals beat the Cowboys. And something told me just go with the safe pick. Chiefs over the Bears. That would be safe. But no, I had to pick a lock of the week on the road. I should know better than pick locks on the other week on the road. So with an endeavor trying to do better for your review perusal inspection and scrutiny. Here are the NFL Week 4 picks with eyes being provided by ESPN for comparison and entertainment purposes only. I say that because if you bet the lines and lose, don't call me. I have no money. Check is already spent before it hits the bank good. So, let's start out with the games of Sunday, October 1st. This is a Fox doubleheader weekend. Check your local listings four times. And games being played in your area. Of course, you can always consult the 506sports.com website. They have an excellent coverage map of games in your area. And all times are Eastern Daylight Time. But our first game isn't even in the Eastern Daylight Time zone. It's in Greenwich Meridian Time. So that means it'll be about 1.30 when they play. In old England, they have the International Series kicking off. And the Jacksonville Jaguars again will play in London. They actually are playing two games this year in London. Uh, the first game they will be playing against will be the Atlanta Falcons. They are 2-1, taking on the 1-2 Jaguars at Wembley Stadium in London, England. 9:30 a.m. kickoff. Note the time. Game being played on ESPN Plus. They are also going to animate the game fully with Toy Story. I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't think I'm going to get up early enough to watch that. I might check that out a little bit, but it's going to be an interesting experience nonetheless. The Jaguars are three-point favorites. Last week, the Falcons lost to the Lions 20-6, to while the Jaguars lost to the Texans 37-17. to Fast fact is, the Falcons have won four in a row in the series, all of them being decided by at least six points. Now, the Falcons found that life outside the ATL is a little tougher. As they were worn down in Detroit, the Jags meanwhile continue to play the Jekyll and Hyde role in a calling beatdown handed to them by the lowly Texans. Go figure that one. The first of these international games see these pair of hard-to-figure teams in the Jags' annual jaunt across the pond. The Falcons are a decent team, but for some reason I think that it's about time for the Jags to start getting their mind right. I think they win fairly easy. The pick here is Jacksonville. Next on the docket, we have the 3-0 Dolphins taking on the 2-1 Bills at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Bills are 2.5-point favorites. Last week, the Dolphins defeated the Broncos 70-20. That is not a misprint. And the Bills defeated the Commanders 37-3. Fast fact here is the Dolphins became the first NFL team to score five rushing touchdowns, and five passing touchdowns in the same game. Both teams are coming in off of serious throttlings of seemingly hapless opponents in a weird twist to the schedule the Week 3 opponents had faced off in Week 2. Go figure. The Dolphins just eviscerated the Broncos in a near flawless offensive performance while the Bills went to D.C. and... Efficerated the commanders in just the same manner not to 70 points, but they held a shutout till one minute left in the game I don't think that either team is as good as a week three performance would indicate and I seriously don't think the Dolphins can score 70 games in their next Couple of games combined to play the G-man of the Panthers But I think the Bills do bring Bills bring them back down to earth with a solid defense with a bump The pick here is Buffalo Next on the docket, we have the 2-1 Ravens taking on the 2-1 Browns at Cleveland Browns Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio, 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Browns are three-and-a-half point favorites. Last week, the Ravens lost to the Colts 22-19 in overtime, while the Browns defeated the Titans 27-3. Fast fact here is the Browns have allowed an NFL best 21 first downs, half as many as the next team has allowed. The Ravens took the game with the Colts and Justin Tucker's kicking, for that matter. Granted, neither went went the way they thought, and they got caught on the wrong side of a home loss. Now they head to Cleveland for an early season AFC North showdown with a quietly resurgent Browns, who totally stifled the Titans and a nice bounce-back win. I'm struggling on trying to figure out which Browns team is going to show up. The ones that throttled the Bengals and Titans, or the ones that folded meekly to the Steelers? I hope for the best and say the former, the pick is Cleveland. Next on the docket, we have the 0-3 Broncos taking on the 0-3 Bears at Soldier Field in Chicago, 1 p.m. on CBS. The Broncos are nine-point favorites. Last week, the Broncos lost to the Dolphins 70 to 20, while the Bears lost to the Chiefs 41 to 10. Fast fact here is the Broncos have allowed 122 points over their first three games. Both teams are coming off of soul-crushing losses. The Broncos took an epic beatdown in South Beach while the Bears took a beating in the Chiefs' kingdom. The Broncos have some hope in a competent offense and the realization that the Bears are probably one of the most hopeless teams in quite a while. Someone has to win, right? It'll be my luck to play to a 6-6 tie. The pig here is Denver. Next on the docket, we have the 1-2 Bengals. Taking on the 1-2 Titans at Nissan Stadium in Nashville, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Bengals are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Last week, the Bengals defeated the Rams 19-16, while the Titans lost to the Browns 27-3. Fast fact here is Titans quarterback Ryan Tannehill does not like seeing the Bengals. He has a five-game losing streak against them dating back to his time in Miami, including the playoffs. Now, the Bengals may have saved their season with a grimy but satisfying home win on Monday night. They had South face a reeling Titans squad that got clocked in Cleveland and is fast running out of answers about their anemic, inconsistent offense. I'm still not fully trusting Joe Burrow and the offensive output of the Bengals, but as long as they keep Burrow clean and upright in the pocket, he is a force, and the Bengals' offense will coalesce into a high-power offense as they've seen in recent times. The Titans will have their hands full with the subtly rowdy Bengals defense that will not worry about their passing game and will try to limit the damage that Derrick Henry can do. I think the Bengals can win another grimy slug it out game. The pick here is Cincinnati. Next on the docket we have the 2-1 Commanders taking on the 3-0 Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Eagles are eight-point favorites. Last week, the Eagles defeated the Buccaneers 25-11, while the Commanders lost to the Bills 37-3. Fast fact here is that this is the Commanders' first visit to Philly since new owner Josh Harris acquired the club. Harris owns the Philadelphia 76ers of the NBA. The Commanders got poleaxed at home and had the unenviable task of facing another rough-and-ready offense in the Eagles' who look bored as a toy with the Buccaneers in the early Monday nighter. Sam Howell looks all sorts of lost trying to pilot the Commander's offense and the Commander's defense, for their part, is badly regressing. This game won't be pretty. The pick here is Philadelphia. Next on the docket we have the 1-2 Rams taking on the 2-1 Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Colts are one-point favorites. Last week, the Rams lost to the Bengals 19-16, while the Colts defeated the Ravens 22-19 in overtime. Fast fact here, since winning Super Bowl 56, the Rams are but 6-14. Now, the Rams are facing a short week and a hard turnaround. After losing to the Bengals Monday night in Cincinnati, the Rams went back to L.A. and then head back to Indianapolis. To face Colts, who were just 100 miles to the west of their last week's opponent. They face a Colts team who walked tall and shocking overtime road win in Baltimore. Zach Moss is making Colts fans have real short memories about Jonathan Taylor. And though the Colts are still asking a lot of questions about the viability of their quarterback situation, they at least have some hope. This just smells like an upset waiting to happen. The west Colts team headed east especially off a short turnaround, that's all the makings of an upset. The picture with Indianapolis that's the Hoodwood upset a week. On that note, let's take another timeout. Come back with the rest of the early NFL games, the late games, and the Sunday and Monday night NFL Week 4 Docket. Sports from the Hoodwood comes back at you after this. I'm actor Rajim A. Gross. Some of the studios would like to scan our images and only pay us for one day's worth of work and be able to use our likenesses, our voices, our mannerisms as computer-generated characters, not only in the movie that we might be filming in, but in all future films as well. That's not fair. And I thank the SAG board members that are fighting for my rights as an actor to work on a union film. So I just want to say standing in complete solidarity with everyone. Thank you. Tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, after hours, your host, AJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. Let's continue with the NFL Week 4 picks. Next on the docket, we have the 2 and 1 Steelers taking on the 1 and 2 Texans. At NRG Stadium in Houston, 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS, the Steelers are three-point favorites. Last week, the Steelers defeated the Raiders 23-18, while the Texans defeated the Jaguars 37-17. Fast fact, last week against Las Vegas, Steelers quarterback Kenny Pickett threw for multiple touchdowns for the first time in his young career. Now, the Steelers grinded out a primetime win against the Raiders and head to Texas to face a team that dealt out a stunning beatdown on the road. Are the young Texans ready to make that bold step against an established team like the Steelers and established defense, similar to the way they did the Jags? Using the simplest terms, the clearest definitions? No. The pick here is Pittsburgh. Next on the docket, we have the 2-1 Buccaneers. Taking on the 2-1 Saints at Caesars Superdome in New Orleans, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Saints are three-point favorites. Last week, the Buccaneers lost to the Eagles 25 to 11, while the Saints lost to the Packers 18 17. Fast fact here is Bucks quarterback Baker Mayfield has only one turnover, an interception, in his three games at quarterback. And that interception was just last Monday against Philly. A showdown for early control of the NFC South is on tap here. The Bucks got dressed down by the Eagles at home and now face the dawning prospect of facing the Saints and their rugged defense on the road. I do not envy Baker Mayfield because he's going to come down to earth real fast. I do not trust Mayfield and trust him even less on the road. Even with the Saints not being sure if they will have Derek Carr at the ready, they will turn this into a grimy slugfest to get the win. The pick here is New Orleans. Next on the docket we have the 0-3 Vikings taking on the 0-3 Panthers at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Vikings are four point favorites. Last week, the Vikings lost to the Chargers 28-24, while the Panthers lost to the Seahawks 37-27. The fast fact here is the Vikings have lost an NFL high seven fumbles. Both teams have decent offenses, but both teams also find dumb ways to lose winnable games. The Vikings went back and forth with the Chargers before an idiotic clock management led to a game-losing end-zone interception. The Panthers were slugging it out with the Seahawks, before getting worn down by the opposition's running game. Kirk Cousins is throwing for a bushel of yards and Justin Jefferson is getting his touches, but the Vikings keep finding ways to turn over the ball at the worst opportune times and make that one critical mistake that lose them ball games. The Panthers aren't much better to be sure. they played well, but have no wins to show for it. I'm likely gonna regret this again, but I think the Vikings are a more experienced club and should be able to grind out an ugly and needed win. The pick here is Minnesota. Let's turn to the late Docket games. The 1-2 Raiders take on the 1-2 Chargers at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. 405 kickoff on CBS. The Chargers are 5.5 point favorites. Last week, the Raiders lost to the Steelers 23-18, while the Chargers defeated the Vikings 28-24. Fast fact is that Raiders wide receiver Devontae Adams needs six catches to become the 13th player with 800 catches in his first 10 seasons. The Raiders remembered who their coach was in an epic late meltdown on Sunday night. They now head to LA to face a Chargers team that tried to give the game away time and time again, as been their won't, but they hung on for the win. I think while the Chargers are clearly the better team... They will struggle to put away a weaker squad away. The pick here is the Los Angeles Chargers. Next on the docket, we have the 1-2 Patriots taking on the 2-1 Cowboys at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. 425 kickoff on Fox. The Cowboys are 6.5-point favorites. Last week, the Patriots defeated the Jets 15-10, while the Cowboys lost to the Cardinals 28-16. Fast fact here is a win by the Patriots. We'll give head coach Bill Belichick his 300th coaching victory. Be joining Don Shula and George Hallett in that category with the win. The Pats grinded out a tough win on the road in Gotham behind a solid running game by Ezekiel Elliott. They now head to Jerry World to face Polk's team, still reeling over an unexpected pratfall in the desert. The old saying is that you can't go home. I think Elliott will be motivated to show that his old team, show his old team, that he still has some giddy up in those old legs. Still, I think the Pokes are aching for a bounce-back win in front of a partisan home crowd, and they get it in spades. The pick here is Dallas. Next on the docket, we have the 1-2 Cardinals. Taking on the 3-0 49ers at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California for a 25 kickoff on Fox. The 49ers are 14-point favorites. Last week, the Cardinals defeated the Cowboys 28-16, while the 49ers defeated the Giants 30-12. The fast fact is the 49ers have scored 30 or more points in all three of their games. Now the Cards are feeling froggy after ambushing the Cowboys in the desert. The task gets a whole lot taller and faces a an rested 49ers team fresh off of Thursday beatdown beat down with the G-Men. You can bet that the 49ers watched the Cardinals upset other pokes and got their hackles up to not look past a divisional foe. The Cards came up aces in their win But the Niners are holding a full house, and that is a whole lot better. The pick here is San Francisco, and that's the Hoodwood Lock of the Week. Next on the docket, we have the Sunday night game, which is the 2-1 Chiefs at the 1-2 Jets. Game being played at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. 8-20 kickoff on NBC. The Chiefs are 9.5-point favorites. Last week, the Chiefs defeated the Bears 41-10, while the Jets lost to the Patriots 15-10. Fast fact is with his next touchdown pass, Patrick Mahomes will have 200 for his career. In his 84th game, they'll be five faster than the NFL record set by Dan Marino. The Chiefs toyed with the Bears in Chiefs Kingdom, now head to Gotham to face a Jets team that just does not know which way to go. Is Zach Wilson going to be the quarterback? That's anybody's guess for how long. He's taking pot shots from everybody, especially Jets legend Joe Namath, who think that the Jets should go with another quarterback. How long Robert Saleh will stay with Zach Wilson may very well determine how long he stays Jets coach. Facing the Chiefs, Mm -mm. no chance. The Chiefs offense is starting to warm up, and though the Jets' defense will give Patrick Mahomes some trouble, the, G- uh, the Jets' offense is anemic. They will not move against the Chiefs' defense. It won't be a high-scoring affair, but the Chiefs will have enough to pull out the win. The pick here is Kansas City. The Monday-nighter is also at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. where It has the 2-1 Seahawks taking on the 1-2 Giants. The line is even. The game is being played At 8.15 on ESPN, last week, the Seahawks defeated the Panthers 37-27, while the Giants lost to the 49ers on Thursday, 30-12. Fast fact here is that the Seahawks have yet to lose in the new Giants Stadium, or MetLife Stadium. They have never lost in the East Rutherford venue. The Monday Nighter has the Seahawks, fresh off a beatdown of the Panthers. They head Gotham to face a Giants team that just has no clue. Their offense, yeah, their offense woke up against the Cardinals, but everybody's offense wakes up against the Cardinals, playing against any kind of confident defense. The G-men lock up and shut down. I see no real reason why a freewheeling Seahawks defense rejuvenated over the last few weeks. Can't, will have any real trouble with the Giants defense. And Daniel Jones Daniel Jones cannot carry an offense. And especially without Saquon Barkley who is still nursing a high ankle sprain it will be a rough sledding for the other Gotham team. The pick here is Seattle. There you have it. Thursday's quick pick. Next week will be the Bears and the Commanders at FedEx Field Landover Maryland eight fifteen on Amazon Prime. Commanders are five point favorites. Quick pick here is Washington. Last week went nine and seven with the lock and upset. Correct, twenty six and twenty two overall, two and one on the Rocks. Zero and seven. Let's take our final timeout. Come back with split with quick takes, the Hoodwood Hot Five, the dap head slap, and the final word from the wood. Sports from the Hoodwood heads down the home stretch. After this. 5, Fat Dab and Head Slap, and the final word from the wood. But first, let's do some Hoodwood Quick Takes. Before we get into the Hoodwood Hot Five, which is going to be detailing the top 5 college football teams as chosen by me, let's throw a few quick takes out there, things that I've seen and I just can't help but comment on. Tra- Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelce. Does anyone in the hood would care? I know I don't. Princess Jazzy does. Princess Jazzy asked me, Daddy, who's Travis Kelsey? And what is he do- doing dating my Taylor Swift? She's a Swiftie. Bonafide Swiftie. I said, not to worry, Princess Jazzy. Travis Kelsey is a well, uh, v- vested uh, good person. He's a bearcat. And Princess Jazzy looks at me and goes, A bearcat? He went to UC? I'm like, yep. She's like, hmm he might be all right ratings for the between the 18 uh, 29 demographic and girls went up 38% watching the Chiefs route the Bears Taylor Swift being visible in uh Travis Kelsey's uh parent his mother's private box this is just going to get really ridiculous after the, after a while though I did like the the uh quote Andy Reid had saying, quote, I set them up. Andy Reid always has the best one-liners. I have a question for you. Why does Terry Bradshaw continue to say the most ignorant stuff? Why is this man even on TV anymore? He hasn't played in 40 years. He referred to Brandon Staley saying, quote, I wouldn't let Staley coach my team. You're not a coach. You're not an owner. Shut up. Now. While Jimmy Johnson and a great coach in his own right was very critical of Staley's play calling last week in the Chargers-Vikings game, they made some real, real puzzling calls down the stretch, nearly lost that game. Bradshaw can barely put a sentence together. You listen to him read highlights, it's painful. And he can, he barely can uh, put a sentence together of his own, much less be critical of anything. And he doesn't rock the flat cap as, nearly as cool as I do. I'm not defending Brandon Staley, to be sure. He's made quite a few puzzling calls in his tenure, but I've grown very weary of Terry Bradshaw. Like I said, he hasn't played the game in 40 years, and he's sounding more like the, cranky old man, shut up, you damn kids, than supposed to be some football expert. I don't know. Staying with football, why is Carson Wentz begging the Jets for a shot? Why is Colin Kaepernick asking for a job? Why is... Robert Sala of the Jets, bound and determined to go down with Zach Wilson as his quarterback. I don't understand. Now, I had hyped up the WNBA semifinals and the Aces look like they're good to go to get to the finals. They're like they're they're up 2-0 in their semifinal. But the Connecticut Sun made me look like an idiot. I hyped up the Liberty as WNBA finals material and they boo-boo against the Suns in Brooklyn. What's up with that? Now they even the series. By the time this show gets to air, the Liberty may have rented the ship. But come on, losing the game at home, the first game. Now you're trying to fight back from from a deficit. It just doesn't work. Anyway, without much further ado, no, we're not going to the final word for the wood not yet. Let's go to the Hoodwood Hot Five. Now, with the Hoodwood Hot Five in front of you now, I should say that's five best teams as determined by my own personal opinion. So let's start out from number five, or I should say who's dropped out of the Hoodwood Hot Five. Florida State Seminoles, despite being 4-0 and 2-0 on the ACC, dropped out of the Hoodwood Hot Five after they struggled to beat Clemson 31-24 in overtime. Their next their next uh, game is until October 7th, when they take on Virginia Tech, but they are out of the Hoodwood Hot Five. Returning to the Hoodwood Hot Five, shout out, Buck fan. I don't want to hear it anymore. Yes, I'll put the team back into the Hoodwood Hot Five after going to South Bend and beating Notre Dame, okay? Are you happy? Fine. The 4-0 Bucks, 1-0 in the Big Ten, last week were not ranked in the Hoodwood Hot Five, but they are now. They're number five. They defeated Notre Dame 17-14, they're on a bye next week. Their next game is against Maryland on October 7th. Number 14 is the 4-0 USC Trojans. They're 2-0 in the Pac-12. Last week they defeated Arizona State 42-28. Their next game is at Colorado. Interesting game for the Buffs. Our number 3 team in the Hoodwood Hot 5 is the Texas Longhorns. They are 4-0 overall, 1-0 in the Big 12. Last week they were number 4. They defeated Baylor 38-6. Their next game is against Kansas. Our number two team in the Hoodwood Hot Five, they stay at number two, the Michigan Wolverines. They're 4-0 overall. One on the Big Ten, and they defeated Rutgers 31-7 in their Big Ten opener. Their next game is at Nebraska this Saturday. And staying at number one for the what fourth or fifth consecutive week, the Georgia Bulldogs, who have been at number one pretty much in every one of these polls. They're 4 0, 1 0 in the SEC. They defeated UAB 49 21. Their next game is their second SEC game on the Plains at Jordan Hare at Auburn. That's my hot five. What's yours? And now, let's look at the Fat Dap and Head Slap of the Week. The Fat Dap goes to the insane line of one race, Heitman, of Williamsburg, Iowa. In the 61-6 destruction of South Tama, Heitman scored in this order. Punt returns of 52 yards, interception returns of 20 and 25 yards, and a punt return of 44 yards. Impressive, yes. But all of this was in the first quarter. And all of these were on consecutive possessions. One after the other, after the other, after the other. Williamsburg had a 27 to nothing lead in the first quarter. And the offense had yet to take the field. That is insanity. Fat gap to this young man. For putting it on, wow! Now our head slap of the week, and while it pains me to say this, is to Minnesota Vikings coach Kevin O'Connell, who decided he wanted to take shots at the Minnesota Vikings home crowd at U.S. Bank Stadium for being too loud. Let me let me let me explain this to you. The The Vikings were losing to the Chargers 28-24 last week and were uh, inside the Chargers' 10-yard line. They were out of timeouts. Kirk Cousins was trying to run a hurry-up offense. He could not hear Kevin O'Connell in his headset. Quarterbacks have have, uh, speakers in their headsets, in their helmets, that they can get direct calls from the coach. Now, the the, the, uh, headset turns off at a certain time so the uh, coach can't just be directed. and like watch out behind you or something like that this is like pre-snap for some reason Kirk Cousins could not understand what Kevin O'Connell was saying and decided he was going to call his own place now remember that the Vikings had no timeouts and the Vikings were needing to get into the end zone to take the lead instead Cousins called his own play tried to force the ball to tight end T.J. Hawkinson. The ball was intercepted and the Vikings lost. O'Connell said that he couldn't communicate with Cousins. Cousins said the crowd was too loud. Now, the crowd was cheering after getting a first down. That was getting them close to the end zone and possibly pulling out their first win of the season, which they did not do. Head slap to any and all that were blaming a crowd. You want a crowd to be loud. Now, of course, the crowd should be more quiet when the offense is on uh, their home offense is on the field. You want to make it distracting for the opposing offense, not your own offense. But still, Cousins should be able to make a play, and O'Connell should have a list of plays to run just in case. But of course, I'm not that big of a fan of Kirk Cousins, and I will be highly critical of his play anyway. So, without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. I'll tell you something, I've always hated the term world champions in any sport that is played internationally. For the NBA champions to call themselves world champions is laughable, given that the U.S. men's national team failed to medal in the FIBA World Cup just as earlier this month. The World Series is just the winner of the Major League Baseball regular season and playoff tournament. Now granted there are other teams in other countries that play baseball. There was the drama of the finale of the World Baseball Classic back in the spring with Shohei Otani striking out Angel's teammate Mike Trout to cleanse the championship. I have long proposed that the champions of respective leagues, whether it's MLB, NBA, NHL, or MLS, be thrown into an elimination tournament to see that they, if they are, really are world champions. To see Luka and the Nuggets go up against a strong Spanish champion uh, would be must-see TV. To see the Astros face off against the Central League champions of Japan, or the Korean League champions would be intriguing. We all know that the strongest MLS team would get dusted against the winner of the UEFA Champions League. I'd wager they wouldn't even get out of the group stage. And A showdown between an NHL champ and a Russian team or Russian champion would rival Miracle on Ice for eyes on the screen. Now you notice I didn't mention the NFL you know, not too many other countries play, as my day job boss calls it, American football. While people around the world watch the curiosity that is truly the American game, few outside the United States play it. I doubt that the great cup champion of Canada would be interested in any kind of game against any NFL team, much less Kansas City Chiefs. To be perfectly honest, the NFL is the only champion that could likely call itself world champion probably because the dearth of other countries playing it other sports have legitimate beef what makes America think that their champion is the world champion or the best in the world the notion that the American champion is naturally the best is the worst kind of jingoism and the funny thing is is when the US is beaten In any kind of sport, the opponent celebrates like they've won the highest of awards. It comes basically down to this. The U.S. is just another member of the world. Can can they consider themselves world champions? Not unless they beat a field of like-minded champions in their own sport. Well, of course, with the exception of the NFL, Kansas City Chiefs could legitimately call themselves world champions. And that is the final word from the wood. are coming up in the background you know that means that your time here in the hoodwood is just about done and I thank you so much for your visit now you can send me an email the show's email is at kjgreen at you can send me emails regarding show topics for the past and future questions comments on the show both praise and criticism I welcome the correspondent, and I will try to get back to you in a timely manner now the show's website is sportswoodwoodwood.com the back catalog of the show taking back 11 years in both audio and video forms. So you can check that out if there are any shows that you may have missed. You can join the debate and conversation on the Sports on with page on Facebook. It also has a video podcast simulcast, as well as other topics, funny stuff I find on the web, plenty of great sports debate, and lots more. I post often there and reply to member quotes. Now the video versions are on YouTube. Please hit that subscribe and smash those like buttons for more great content. The link to the podcast is on the show XP. We are moving to Tribal here very soon. That is at Goodwood Sports. It has a lot of other interesting stuff you can find there. You can send me correspondence and an I do correspond there as well. The audio version of the show is on Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Google Podcasts iTunes from Apple, and a host of other fine podcast platforms and providers. If the Hoodwood one is not on your favorite, ask for it. Drop me a line and I will see what I can do to get on your favorite provider. As always, special thanks to Rage Pictures for their production system and website development. So that's it from the Hoodwood, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Until next time, from the Hoodwood, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green, 30 from the hoodwood is a black bandit productions and enterprises presentation of a 551 audio and films production